There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Wednesday morning, the 26th of April. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The report following the review of legislation that allows for abortions to be carried out in this country by Barrister Marie O'Shea is to be published today. The government uh, considered the report today and Minister Donnelly will publish it tomorrow. People have a chance to read it then. Uh, and he's referred it to the uh, Oireachtas Health Committee for their advice and deliberations and will be uh, up to the committee to decide how long they take to do that. Um, uh, and uh, obviously that's an all-party committee. So the three-day mandatory wait to excess abortion will be considered by the Health Committee. The committee will also consider recommendations on decriminalising medical practitioners who may not be acting to the letter of uh, the law. It will also contemplate allowing midwives and junior doctors or other health professionals terminate a pregnancy and it should to examine if abortions are delayed by medical staff who have conscientious objections. But there are some steps that the government is happy to proceed with now before the committee hearings begin. I should say in relation to the operational recommendations which show uh, gaps in the service, um, we're going to act on that right away. Uh, that's being referred to the HSC for implementation. Um, there are 400 GP practices that provide abortion services in Ireland. That's, that's not, not a small number. And over 8,000 abortions were performed in Ireland last year. That isn't a small number either. Um, but there are some gaps in some regions and we need to encourage GPs in those regions to provide the service and the HC will be working on that. One change government wants to happen is for abortion to be available in all maternity hospitals. Uh, there are 19 hospitals in Ireland that provide obstetric and gynaecological services. Only 11, only 11 provide surgical terminations. That's not good enough. And a programme is being put in place uh, to ensure that by the end of this year, um, if not early next year, all 19 will provide service. That's the Taoiseach Leo Vratker speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Alana Ryan is the Women's Health Coordinator for the National Women's Council of Ireland. She's on the line with us and a very good morning to you, Alana, and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. I suppose we haven't seen the report yet, but it has been very heavily leaked at this stage. But apart from amending the existing legislation, there's problems with the existing legislation. The Taoiseach saying there that by the end of this year, if not early next year, he hopes that all 19 maternity hospitals in the country will be providing abortion services. Would that be progress in the time frame that he's talking about? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's unacceptable that almost five years since the repeal referendum, we still have eight maternity hospitals which are not providing full services in line with the law. And there's a knock-on impact there. You know, after nine weeks, um, women have to have their abortions in maternity hospitals. So if you're in a part of the country, say Donegal or down in Wexford, and your local maternity hospital is not providing As a woman seeking care, which can be stressful and challenging, you're forced to travel to a maternity hospital, which does provide. And obviously, if you have children or care responsibilities, if you're disabled, um, if you're reliant on public transport, that all just adds to the the challenge of this. Mm. So, Will it be possible to do it in the kind of time frame that the Taoiseach is talking about over the next six to eight months if the problem is that some staff have a conscientious objection? I think it is going to be very challenging, but I know that the HSC is very committed to this and um, has been doing a lot of work on the ground with the hospitals um, over the last year. Now, of course, you know, to, to get all eight to provide in the next year would be um, a, a remarkable improvement. So I think what we need to be looking at is uh, ensuring that if there is um, a gap in terms of that clinical leadership, that we fast track contracts for those who are willing to step up to provide so that no service user is um, you know, directly impacted by the lack of provision. So that you only employ consultants who will terminate a pregnancy? Yes, I think, you know, ultimately what we're seeing here is that there's a gap in relation to um, the positive duty on hospitals to provide. So if we know that there isn't going to be um, appetite to provide amongst the existing medical staff, it's really important that that gap is filled by by taking on a consultant who will step up and deliver the service. Or have somebody else do it. Uh, Is that possibly the solution to the problem where consultants have a conscientious objection in the eight hospitals that don't provide uh, abortion services uh, because uh, there is uh, this recommendation that non consultant hospital doctors or junior doctors uh, may be able to perform uh, the termination or indeed midwives for that matter. I think that's probably in relation to the medical abortions. You know, we haven't seen the detail yet, but um, medical abortions are delivered through administration of pills, um, so through two different appointments uh, pre-12 weeks. And I think absolutely looking at uh, midwives, nurses, junior doctors for that role would be uh, very appropriate and in line with, uh, you know, WHO guidance, which calls for greater involvement of nurses and midwives. Okay, but it would have to be a consultant who carries out the surgery as such uh, to terminate a pregnancy. I'm not entirely sure what's being recommended, but Mm. I think that um, for for those um, surgical abortions, it probably would need uh, clinical leadership from a consultant. Okay, Uh, there's a lot more to this, uh, but we start with the existing legislation, and that is obviously one problem in terms of services not being delivered uh, that uh, should be uh, available to people uh, in this country. The other is uh, the problem with uh, the GPs. The Taoiseach didn't seem as certain about achieving a better uptake or a universal uptake, if you like, amongst GPs to provide services? 
Well, you know, I think that GPs want the support and backup of the maternity hospitals so that they know if there are any complications or challenges, they have that clear referral pathway into a, a local maternity hospital. So I think efforts to improve provision at the hospital level will have a knock-on positive impact mm. at bringing more GPs. But don't they have that in 13 uh, of uh, the 21 hospitals as it stands? Um, I mean, um, we're talking about 90% of GPs who don't provide abortion services. Yeah, but I think the gaps are particularly bad in the parts of the country, so the northwest or the southeast, where the local maternity hospital doesn't provide. But of course, other measures like safe access zones, like decriminalisation, those um, will support doctors and create a more enabling environment for them to step up and deliver this care. So those kinds of legislative changes will help to bring more GPs on board. Because they're afraid that there'll be protests outside of their surgeries or inside their surgeries or that they or their staff or their patients may feel intimidated or threatened by protesters. Absolutely. And, you know, we know that's going on all the time Um, outside GP centres. Even just last week, there were protests uh, in Dublin. So, you know, I think it's really important that the safe access zones legislation goes through so that doctors um, have that confidence that in stepping up to provide a reproductive health service, they won't be intimidated or targeted and their staff and patients will be protected. Um, I think that the recommendations around decriminalising medical practitioners are also going to be hugely important because um, we know that there's a chilling impact of having a criminal framework for this and ultimately that means that doctors uh, face the risk of up to 14 years in prison if they step outside mm. the law even slightly. So, no, of course, mm-hmm. um, in a stressful, you know, busy work environment, they're not going to sign up to an additional um you know, duty when when they know it comes at such high risk to them personally. Okay, but that takes us into a a different realm. Um, The deficits in the existing service are one thing. Uh, The type of uh, safeguard that you're talking about that was promised five years ago is a different thing and would require uh, amendments to the existing legislation. And the Taoiseach, you said earlier on, it's only five years and there's all these deficits. The Taoiseach is saying it's only five years uh, and it's only five years since I promised people these safeguards, I'd be reluctant to remove them. Well, I think the really important thing is to go back to why Simon Harris put this clause into the legislation in the first place in 2018, because, you know, Minister Harris at the time said very clearly that it would be, um, you know, a, a dereliction of their duty to support women by not keeping this legislation under review and not, um, you know, being willing to, to review it in line with international best practice. And just last year, we have seen the publication of the new World Health Organization guidelines on abortion care. So that's, you know, a huge advance in international best practice. It's based on uh, many years of gathering the evidence and clinical um, insights, and, and they recommend very strongly full decriminalization. So I think uh, it would be remiss of us at this important moment not to consider those those guidelines and indeed 
this report by. Uh, but would it be a broken? Case. But I suppose the question is, would it be a broken political promise? And it's not just that issue. Uh, there's the twelve-week time limit. There's fatal fetal abnormalities. Uh, there is, of course, uh, the mandatory three-day gap between first consultation and the second uh, consultation. Uh, I mean, these were promised as safeguards. The legislation was in place when people voted in the referendum. They voted to appeal, uh, repeal the eighth uh, on the basis that this would be the legislation, and that's why. Uh, Tonishta and Taoiseach are saying that they'd be reluctant to uh, welch uh, on those commitments uh, that they gave to the electorate. No, it wouldn't be a broken political promise. It would be recognition that there are operational challenges um, as well as legal challenges which are inhibiting women's access to services. And ultimately, this is amounting to a denial of care and it's forcing some women to continue to have to travel to the UK, to the Netherlands, to have to take medical pills ordered online without clinical oversight or support and put their own health and life at risk in doing so. So I think it's really important Mm. that we take this review for what it is, a chance to look at what's working and celebrate that, but also recognise the ongoing barriers and address those. Okay, but there was a fierce debate, as you know, Alana, and people were very concerned at the idea of abortion on demand, as they put it, uh, and the safeguards that were put in place were there as an assurance for people that uh, there wouldn't be unlimited access uh, to abortion and uh, that people would uh, be limited in terms of uh, the gestation period, in terms of uh, the circumstances, and that not only that there would be a period of reflection, this three days between deciding to terminate the pregnancy and actually making that final decision. Uh, They were assurances that were given to people and people voted for that. If that's the change, should people not be given the opportunity to vote again? No. um, You know, it's my belief and I think the belief of many that people who voted were voting so that women did not have to travel for essential reproductive health care, that they would be guaranteed compassionate care at home and that they and their families would be able to have that support right here in Ireland. And, you know, the reality is that since this legislation has been introduced, almost 800 women have had to travel to the UK alone. Um, More will have travelled to the Netherlands and many will have uh, taken pills without clinical oversight Mm. or support. And And I'm I'm not looking for you to debate uh, the merits of uh, what's forming your opinion and that is your opinion and there's good reason for it. The Health Committee may agree with what you've said and I'm sure if there was time you'd say a lot more as well, Alana, for that matter. Uh, But they'll make their recommendations to government. Uh, The government headed up at the moment uh, by Leo Radker and Micheál Martin. If they're reluctant to make these type of changes, would you be concerned that they won't be implemented? You know, I think it's really incumbent on the Health Committee to look at the evidence and to act, um, you know, based on the extensive evidence gathering in this report and indeed those new international guidelines from the WHO. Um, If they didn't act, I think it would be a dereliction of their duty and I think it would make a mockery of this review process. So I think what we need now is a very clear timeline from the Health Committee that they will commit to prioritising this in this Mm term so that there is follow through and political leadership. Okay but they won't have the final say and that's what I'm putting to you. Would you be concerned uh, about uh, the people who are heading up government if they're reluctant to make these changes? 
Well, there is a democratic process and I do think that the Health Committee provides an appropriate cross-party political forum for this. So, you know, I would sincerely hope that um, our, our political leaders would be listening to the Health Committee and willing to act on their recommendations. You know, it is a cross-party forum and I think that it provides the appropriate scrutiny for this. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. The report will be published today uh, and I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about this through the day and over the coming days and weeks for that matter. Alana, thank you as I say for joining us as always. Alana Ryan is uh, the Women's Health Coordinator with the National Women's Council of Ireland. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's talk about uh, the big announcement Joe Biden made yesterday. Freedom. Personal freedom is fundamental to who we are as Americans. There's nothing more important, nothing more sacred. That's been the work of my first term, to fight for our democracy. This shouldn't be a red or blue issue. To protect our rights, to make sure that everyone in this country is treated equally and that everyone is given a fair shot at making it. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms. Cutting Social Security that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy. Dictating what healthcare decisions women can make. Banning books and telling people who they can love. All while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. Yes, uh, the President of uh, the United States of America has announced uh, that he will once again run for the office of uh, the President of the United States of America. Let's speak to Paul Allen, spokesperson for the Biden for President campaign. Good morning to you, Paul, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Hardly a bolt out of the blue. This was widely expected. uh, But is it appropriate uh, that we've an 80-year-old man who's talking about giving people a fair shot at making it if he's going to run for another term. Most definitely. Uh, the video is fantastic and uh, Camilla Harris is starring in it as well. It's a terrific video. It's a video from his heart. There's a number of videos that they managed to stockpile uh, during the visit to Ireland uh, and, and like that was a fantastic. That's the last time I was talking to you about uh, was the Ireland visit uh, and certainly Ireland in terms of its tourism is enjoying the Biden bounce. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and like, just look back at the time he visited Carlingford. Like, you couldn't believe this. The world's media was looking at this. This was a magnificent Dundalk. Jerome McAteer and, and Bobby uh, hosted the president in the food hall. Um, and then Loud County Council and the Business Improvement District people, uh, Martin McGilligan, did phenomenal work with flags and banners. Um, but if that was great, go to Ballina. I was a guest at the White House to see the, uh, the chopper coming up the river the Moy, uh, the, the, the music of uh, mm. the Dropkick Murphys uh, and the president speaking. It, it's just spectacular and it, it's a great opportunity. But yeah, we've an elephant in the room. The president is what he is. Um, four years ago, we all yawned and said it wasn't possible um, when he made the 2020 bid. Certainly, he's a long-term senator. Uh, he's ran unsuccessfully for the presidency in 88 and uh, 1988 and 2008. Uh, Barack Obama eventually chose him as his vice president. Uh, he's the oldest serving president. Uh, if uh, elected, uh, he will be 82. And then when he finishes his term, he'll be 86. But that's the facts. And that's what we're dealing with. Um, mm. So if you don't believe that he, he should move over to make way for a, a younger person, do you believe that uh, he can understand uh, the needs and the concerns of younger people at 80, 82 or 86, as the case may be. 
Well, yes, he can. And, and, and what, what goes on is that even in government, you see Leo Varadkar or you see Rishi Sunak in the UK or the French president, there's people around them. There's a team of people that are working. But let's think back uh, to a friend said to me last night about what Ronald Reagan said to Walter Mondale back in 84. I'm not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and, and experience. Uh, as Joe Biden has said, you know, don't compare me to the almighty, compare me to the alternative. And look at the alternative, Michael. Well, like, come on, for God's sake. Okay, so, you know, uh, he's as, brought everything into disrespect. Uh, as things stand, uh, that uh, could be Donald Trump unless he's in prison. Well, look at the images of January the 6th. Uh, and whether you're, uh, as it happens, I'm somewhat obsessed with American presidencies since uh, President Kennedy and, 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 and have befriended a number of uh, presidents down the years and have had the pleasure of working with them. But just look at it, January the 6th, 2021, mm. the attacks on the U.S. Capitol. Like, to see that sort of stuff and him stoking it up, like extremists that are out there. Uh, and listening to the president's words yesterday about freedom and, you know, he wants to try and help. He wants to be the voice of moderation against the right-wing Republicans. Mm. That's the theme of his campaign. And this is not the time to be complacent. And that's the reason why he's running for president. There's a, a number of cases running uh, against uh, Donald Trump. He's facing into a number of legal charges. A rape case opened against him yesterday. Uh, if Donald Trump isn't uh, the opponent, uh, do you think that Joe Biden has the capacity, the capability to win this contest? Well, well, Joe, uh, we met him back in 2016 and we met him during the visit. Um, Joe always sees himself as an underdog. Um, and this is something many of our mothers said to us. You're as good as others. And the president always spoke about his mother saying, you're, you know, you're as good as others. Um, and he's battled being the underdog over the years. He, at one stage, he had a speech impediment, as we say, a stutter. He, he, he met this child at one stage on a campaign and he stayed with the kid and he helped the kid overcome his stutter. So if you're an underdog and you're battling, even with children that are out trying to play sport, you know, keep going. You'll eventually get it right. And just trying to encouragement is what you want, as opposed to being dictated to by some bully. Uh, and that's the sort of person Joe, Bo uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Biden is in the context of what's going on. Are you and, sure you know, that Joe Biden didn't use uh, Ireland and the Irish people uh, for uh, launching this campaign? Of course he did. But let's remember, <laughs> okay. Joe Biden, Joe mm. Biden is an Irish man. He's an Irish president. He's more Irish than, than JFK. Um, and he showed the world how great our country is. Again, if I may name drop for a second, President Clinton always said to me, the world thinks more of the Irish than the Irish think of themselves. And that's essential that we need to know about. Mm. And even in terms of encouragement, people trying to pull up the shutters today to open a business, people trying to motivate children in sport or in their studies, you know, try and believe in yourself. And that's what Joe Biden is trying to encourage people to do. All right. Uh, the majority of Democrats uh, would prefer him to step down after this term. Michael, you're still on about this. Can I just say, <laughs> uh, let's look at history. You know, to think history can repeat itself, certainly that is wrong and it's a dangerous mistake. But, you know, assume that Joe Biden can possibly slay this Trump character. But I think if you look at what's going to happen in the weeks ahead, um, the Trump character can possibly slay himself in terms of the his insane behavior. Last week in Belfast, we were with... Um, uh, President Clinton and and Hillary Clinton, and she just said, has carry on the way he carried on in terms of how he treated co for COVID. He had to be taken away to to go to hospital to try and deal with COVID. He was encouraging people to drink bleach. This man, could yeah. you imagine the world at the moment 
how dangerous and how threatening it is from Sudan to seeing what's going on in the Ukraine to see Trump in the White House. My mm. goodness me. Come okay. on, Michael. Uh, is it a foregone conclusion that he'll get the nomination? Well, he has to be ratified by the Democratic Party. Um, and that is something that, you know, time will, ta- will tell. Uh, one hopes he will get it. Uh, normally, the incumbent president will get it. President Clinton got it. Um, but it's certainly the situation at the moment is he has the experience. And look at his record quite, ac- quite across the, the area from uh, the infrastructure to climate to green issues, to, to marriage equality. Like, he's been on, on overperforming in certain areas in relation to that. But obviously, he must beat the odds, um, and he must obviously deal with these extreme right-wing Republicans. Hmm. Yeah, well, there's uh, many right-wing Republicans, uh, and uh, there may be many Democrats uh, who wouldn't be uh, too... Uh, keen on the candidate uh, if uh, Joe Biden uh, is uh, the Democrat uh, candidate, uh, which now uh, seems more or less uh, uh, it's unlikely to think that that couldn't happen. Uh, But um, is is there a prospect uh, that uh, Republicans uh, will look to somebody else other than Donald Trump, regardless of his issues? Who cares? Uh, I'm not really interested in them, if I may say. Mm -hmm. Um, But like four years ago, when we first started about this, everybody yawned when they said Joe Biden was going to do this. We're now yawning. I would, you know, hold the yawn for for seeing in four years time how it's how it's going to work. And he's done exceptionally well. As I said, he slayed Donald Trump. His his entire career has been somewhat of an underdog. But obviously he needs to get the nomination and that will allow him to continue on. And uh, please God, he'll have continued health and he'll have the vitality and passion to keep going. Mm. Uh, There doesn't seem to be any problem with his health. I'm not a GP. I might be a spin doctor, but I'm not a GP. (laughs) So I, I don't know. I don't know the question, but there's certainly, as a senator, he's pushed through landmark legislation, including uh, infrastructural law, uh, you know, in terms of climate measures and things like that. Um, and he's passed on healthcare reforms. Um, there's a CHIP Act, which boosts the production of the digital infrastructure in America and from, in terms of semiconductors. That's what he's been powering on with. Uh, and he's doing phenomenally well. And isn't it great to have an Irishman in the White House looking after our interests in these dangerous times? Yeah, well, he certainly put a, a spotlight on Ireland, uh, generally speaking, and pockets of it, such as uh, County Louth. And uh, there's been a, a lot of interest. Uh, have you heard much feedback uh, yourself, Paul, since the presidential visit? It has been remarkable, the success. Um, so many people in, in, in the US who I know are coming over, some people over this week, part of the Allen clan, they are coming over to celebrate uh, their their Irishness. Um, and they're visiting on, on the tail of, of President Biden. And there's so many people coming along. Like Carlingford is beautiful. Dundalk is beautiful. It's a great opportunity to embrace. And when I was on the radio program the last time, mm-hmm. I said I was a member of the JFK Trust in New Ross and Sean Connick down there with Dun Brody. Um, they have really exploited the tourism potential between the presidents of the United States and little old sod Ireland, whether it's the homestead in Dunganstown um, to the, the ship and to where the president spoke. This is all great stuff for the tourism business in, in, in Louth to really exploit the opportunities from the castle and the streets of Carlingford to, again, the areas where they had coffee, as I said, Bobby's, Bobby's Food House there um, in Dundalk. It, w- it was terrific. And yeah, uh, I know he was four hours late and we all got absolutely soaked. 
I'm just about getting back on my feet since then. Yeah. But it was a terrific occasion and, and well done all involved. The place looked magnificent. Okay, Paul, I imagine you're the happiest of all of uh, the Alan Clark <laughs> announcement yesterday. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Paul Allen, spokesperson for the Biden for President campaign. When I ran for president four years ago, I said we're in a battle for the soul of America. And we still are. The question we're facing is whether in the years ahead we have more freedom or less freedom, more rights or fewer. I know what I want the answer to be, and I think you do too. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty and respect and treating each other with dignity. That we're a nation where we give hate no safe harbor. We believe that everyone is equal, that everyone should be given a fair shot to succeed in this country. Thank you for choosing us. Thanks, and that is uh, Joe Biden. Every generation of Americans has faced a moment when they have to defend democracy. Stand up for our personal freedom. Stand up for the right to vote and our civil rights. Making his big announcement about people's right to vote for him. And this is our moment. Go to JoeBiden.com and sign up. Let's finish this job. I know we can. Because this is the United States of America. There's nothing, simply nothing we cannot do if we do it together. How is Biden an Irish man asks somebody in a WhatsApp message, is he more Irish than JFK? Cut the bull. He's looking for the Irish vote in America where the Irish helps build the country. Thank you for your WhatsApp message. James Andrade says, only for Trump, we still wouldn't have a vaccine. Trump invoked the War Act so all of the factories would make respirators. Had Biden been in place, it would still be tied up in red tape. He even denies uh, part members of his family says uh, James uh, who also says uh, he was taken back uh, by Paul Allen's uh, description of the video and says uh, despite it being heavily edited he still managed to slurp his words. Uh, Tom says I wonder if we voted now again for abortions would the numbers be different? Thank you indeed uh, for uh, your text once again Tom and everybody who's been in touch with us so far. Our lines are open if you want to make comment today 0419832000 text or WhatsApp 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. As you know, the government has announced plans to hold a consultative forum on international security policy. This is not a citizens' assembly. Uh, it's something else uh, that they've come up with to discuss issues that may change policy, indeed legislation, indeed constitutional Uh, positions that this country has uh, and this time it is neutrality. There was a a lot of concern uh, about how this process is uh, going to uh, proceed uh, that were voiced in the Dáil yesterday. Mio Martin told the Dáil last year it is my view that there should be a citizens assembly in relation to all aspects of neutrality. In the aftermath of his comments an Ipsos poll carried out on behalf of the Irish Times found two-thirds opposed to jettisoning neutrality. There were similar polls with similar results in other papers. The water was tested. And I don't think, I don't think you like what you found in those polls. 
So now, the idea of a citizen assembly seems to have been put to one side, scrapped, in favour of a four-day debate in June with, quote, experts in foreign policy and, quote, military experts. I don't think any serious observer will see this as anything other than an attempt to soften up public opinion, Taoiseach. People before Profit really voiced a serious concern about this process. That was Mick Barry. This is Richard Boyd Barrett. Government is involved in a very systematic campaign of trying to condition public opinion to move Ireland away from neutrality and exploiting every dire crisis uh, uh, around the world to further make the case for reviewing neutrality uh, and ultimately moving away from it and into a closer alliance with NATO and the EU militarisation project. The latest example is Sudan, and we're all witnesses to the scenes of Irish citizens, for example, trying to flee uh, out of Sudan, and that has generated further discussion. But I wonder, uh, wouldn't it be good for you to be, uh, to remind the public, uh, something I raised, by the way, in the doll, that the militias that are now killing people in Sudan were funded by the European Union. So concern that this is a process to bring about an end to Irish neutrality and concern about the chairperson of this forum, Louise Richardson, as well. This is Paul Murphy. The so-called consultative forums are already up with a predetermined outcome to undermine neutrality further. If that wasn't already clear from the fact that the government has Bertolt Brecht-style dissolved the random selection of citizens and replaced them with a so-called expert group. It should be absolutely crystal clear when you look at who the government has appointed as the chairperson. Dame Louise Richardson, Dame of the British Empire, someone who, in writing, repeatedly identifies with the aims and uh, targets of US militarism. Writing after the US invasion of Afghanistan following 9-11, she writes, we did not use the mechanism of NATO or any other international institution to fashion or implement a response. We felt strong enough to react on our own, and so we did. This is what Sinn Féin's Rory O'Muraku had to say. Taoiseach, uh, the Irish people, I believe, are very much committed to non-alignment and neutrality. We do see what is happening in Sudan and we would hope that the evacuation of Irish citizens is going as well as it can be. Um, I I think questions in relation to our capacity will need to be answered. And this is Sinn Féin's Matt Carthy. The consultative forum on international security policy um, appears to be the exact opposite way of consultation. Um, A chair who has been picked by government, not ratified by this government, will oversee four public hearings and then from a parliamentary response it appears that they will be charged with preparing a report themselves. That is the exact opposite to the ethos and the principle that underpinned the Citizens' Assembly that the government had committed to. And parliamentary um, question responses from the Tánaiste to the Laskin Corla, in fact, um, don't reference the word neutrality at all, yet do mention that the forum will examine our current and future engagement with with NATO. Um, Taoiseach, do you understand why so many Irish people who value our very proud tradition of military neutrality and and non-alignment are concerned about the approach that's been taken. The concerns of Sinn Féin and people before profit, we can hear from the Taoiseach now. Just in relation to the Consultative Forum on International Security Policy, 
Uh, as has been referenced earlier, the Taunashta announced last week that the government plans for a consultative forum on international security policy. The forum will take place in June and will aim to build a deeper understanding of the threats faced by the state and the links to and between our foreign security and defence policies. It will focus on a wide range of issues, including Ireland's efforts to protect the rules-based international order through peacekeeping and crisis management, disarmament and non-proliferation, international humanitarian law and conflict prevention and peace building, as well as allowing for a discussion on Ireland's policy of military neutrality. Indeed, uh, a discussion on neutrality is not a foregone conclusion, according to the Taoiseach Leo Radgard there. Now to some more of the comments. Somebody says, who cares about Biden? He'll have a sixth or seventh cousin when he comes back to Ireland next, and that will cost us all a lot of money once again. Robbie, thanks for your message, uh, who also says, you seem to love uh, these Yanks coming over here. It cost us a fortune when Biden was here two weeks ago, two men drowned in the Liffey and never made any news stations. A man jumped in to save another man and both of them lost their lives. Thanks uh, for that uh, Robbie. Dreadful story. Somebody else says, fake news again by LMFM. The rape trial referenced uh, that uh, started against Donald Trump yesterday is an historic civil suit uh, and will not result in jail time. Okay, but it's still a civil uh, trial. Uh, It's still a, a rape trial charges of rape uh, and uh, he says that the Attorney General brought uh, fake charges against Trump as well uh, and it won't result in a jail sentence if uh, Trump loses Stop the pro-democratic bias, says our caller. Thanks uh, for your view. 0419832000, our telephone number, text or WhatsApp 086 1800 658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, michael Reed on LMFM. Now, John Keane, the president of Macron Affirma, is on the line. As you hear, members of Macra have uh, been walking from Thai in County Kildare to uh, Leinster House. Uh, they're expected to arrive there about one o'clock uh, this afternoon. Where are you at the moment, John? Good morning, Michael, and good morning to all your listeners. So, uh, at the moment, we're we're just about to approach the, the top of the Nath Road here in in, in Dublin. We've uh, about sixty three or four kilometres walked at this stage, so we're we're well on our journey. And and, and spirits are high. Blisters are big, but spirits are high. All right, uh, you've made good time. Uh, if uh, you're hoping to get to the doll around one, uh, it's a seventy nine kilometre walk uh, from Athy uh, to Leinster House. Uh, why are you going to such bother? Yeah, so the, the action is, is quite drastic and, and uh, not something our members look lightly on for sure. And, and I suppose the reason is uh, the members are worried about the, the future of rural Ireland. They're worried about the future of their rural communities. They're frustrated with the lack of engagement around some of the issues affecting them. And, and our, our young farmers are, are angry about the, the lack of engagement on key schemes that are needed to uh, grow and develop our sector and encourage more young people into the sector. All right, uh, Steps for Our Future is uh, the theme of your protest, uh, as I understand it, John. Uh, but why are you taking uh, your concerns to politicians uh, with Fine Gael in government? Fine Gael is the Farmers' Party, is it not? Uh, well, we're taking our, our concerns to all the political leaders and all the political representatives, Michael, so none and all. Um, all of our elected representatives have a role to uh, ensure that policies that are brought forward are uh, in favour of those who need them and in favour of developing rural Ireland. So what we're looking for is, is political engagement from, from all our political representatives right across the political section. Uh, and we need to seek constructive dialogue and we need to see negotiations with them as well because 
the idea of, of, of consultation and, and tokenistic gestures is not something that our our young rural people will, will engage with and will stand for anymore. We need we need negotiations and we we need negotiations on our, our rate points, our rate solutions for the, the future of rural Ireland. Okay, if that's the situation under a Fine Gael-led government, would Macron affirm is say that in this day and age, Fine Gael is not the party for farmers? Well, I think from a, a whole-of-government point of view, if, if, if you take the rural Ireland piece, uh, you have uh, huge numbers of rural young people leaving their communities. Uh, leaving jobs because of the uh, lack of investment, leaving jobs because of the lack of affordable housing and flying to far from shores. If you look at young farmers, we now only have 6% of the active population in farming under the age of, of 35. That's one in 16. So for uh, uh, GA strongholds like yourselves and me and Loud, that's your, your, your GA team, 1 to 15, are all over the age of 35. Your midfield and half-back line are over the age of 65. And the only person that's under the age of 35 is, is your first sub, number 16. So that's the, that's the picture, that's the reality, that's the world that people are living in at the moment. So yeah. okay. we need all political leaders and political representatives to engage with us proactively on these. Maybe that's not such a bad thing. Uh, maybe that's uh, because life expectancy is much longer than it once was and it, it takes longer to inherit uh, the family farm, the family house and the family business. Well, if you look at the, the, the working population, Michael, the, the working population uh, retire at the age of uh, 65, 66, 67, and some work a little bit longer. If we look at farmers, it's to do with the financial security. All the farmers have said this. They've said that the reason uh, that they can't afford or, or are not able to step back from the farm is because of the financial insecurity that it leads to them. So what we need to see and what we've put forward is an on-farm succession scheme that's allows farmers, older farmers, to step back by encouraging young farmers to step forward. It supports generation renewal and it will lead to environmental progress and sustainability progress. And, and that's all supported by research. Okay. There's a lot of no- noise behind you, John. I will try and bear with it uh, for the moment. Uh, but are you asking your parents to retire? A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss 
we're, we're asking to support our parents. We're asking to support the older generation to step back. Uh, the older generation have said to us that they would like financial support and security to ensure that they can step back. Uh, when we sit down and ask older farmers what they want, they want succession. They want to see the next generation coming forward and taking taking over the family farm. I mean, that's a natural part of of the family farm business, that they want to see the next generation come forward, develop their enterprise and continue on. When, you, when, when, when you look at uh, the situation that a lot of young people are in in this country where rents are through the roof, uh, impossible to afford rent, let alone uh, to save a deposit if you are renting and ultimately go on to buy a house. Uh, would you agree that young farmers are probably one of the most fortuitous cohorts of people, young people in this country and have more opportunities than most, given the fact that you're going to inherit the farm, the land, the house and the business? Well, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not without its, uh, its challenges either, Michael, to be fair. I mean, if it was as rosy as the picture that you have painted, uh, why is there so few young people stepping forward to engage and develop in it? Uh, and the realities of it from a farming point of view is uh, the economics, due to the lack of the economic return from the, the prices being attained by farmers, is that there's many farms across our country that are economically vulnerable and unviable. That's the reality. That's the picture that's been painted. Uh, the National Farm Survey data supports that, that within our sheep sectors, within our tillage sectors, within our beef sectors, and a certain cohort of our dairy farmers. And if you look at our horticulture sector, has been decimated in the past decade to only a, hundred, a couple of hundred farmers because of the economic return. So that's, those are the realities in the sector. Okay. Uh, and those concerns need to be addressed and engaged with. Uh, and how can they best be engage with, would you support Michael Fitzmaurice and his call for uh, a rural political party, a farmer uh, representative party, an anti-green party? Well, we would support uh, the call for more uh, engagement with rural Ireland, for more representation for rural Ireland, for more representation for young people, young farmers in rural communities. That's what we're uh, ultimately looking for. That's our organisation is representing the views of it uh, and lobbying hard and working hard and advocating on behalf of our members for so. But you don't believe there's a need. You don't believe there's a need uh, for a specific farmer-based uh, party. Well, I think it, it would be absolutely a positive development to get the the farming viewpoint across, to get the rural view, viewpoint across, and many of our rural independent TDs and rural TDs get those points across excellently as it is. But we need a more cohesive. Uh, and to get a approach in terms of getting that message across because the reality of what our members are feeling on the ground is that they're, they're not being listened to, but they want to see change is not being implemented. So we need to see a more constructive and uh, a more collective approach to that. And is it Green Party policies uh, that you're objecting to when you say you're not being listened to when you object? So what, what we're saying is that we need investment in developing young people. It, it's the idea that uh, young farmers or people from rural communities uh, are anti-green or anti-improving the environment or sustainability is just a false. Uh, it's just a false agenda. We want to be climate leaders. We want to be ambitious. We want to develop uh, in a sustainable and environmentally friendly way. Okay, but there is a real perception, John, uh, and forgive me uh, for holding this uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that all farmers, young and old, are anti-green. Uh, I think the anti-green, anti it depends what way you want to define that, Michael. The, 
the environmental, improving environments, developing efficiency, developing sustainability, uh, improving our environmental impact. We're all, we're all supporting that. Farmers are investing that. They're voting with their feet on the ground. If you look at our emissions last year, signals reduced from our sector. If you look at the investment in uh, targeted measures in terms of reducing our impact on the environment, that investment has gone up. We're ahead of targets in some of those areas. So I think that's a, a false statement to say that. I don't think it's accurate, and it definitely doesn't reflect the reality of young people on the ground that are every day, day in, day out, engaging in measures that are uh, every day improving their environmental impact and improving their viability and, and improving their farming practices. Very good, uh, and forgive me for holding that perception, and thank you for putting me right. Uh, you're uh, walking uh, and have been walking uh, from a, a tie uh, since last night, uh, you'll stage the protest as such outside of Leinster House uh, at one o'clock. Uh, sounds like there's quite a few of you already. How many people are you expecting at one o'clock? Yeah, so we, we, we left the tie last night, as you said, about 150 of us started walking and there's a good crowd of us walking through the night. And we're expecting a couple of hundred people to join us inside in Merriam Square at one o'clock. So if there's anybody listening who uh, wants to hear what we have to say or who wants to come in and engage with us and get their viewpoints across and inform it as well. We're, we're more than happy to speak with anyone. So uh, if anybody's around at one o'clock in Marion Square, there'll be many TDs and representatives there to meet us as well. So so all, all are welcome, Michael. OK, thank you indeed, John. Uh, much appreciate that, uh, taking time out uh, on that walk uh, to speak to us. John Keane is uh, the president of Macra Neferma. Uh, we had Eric Cuthbert in touch with us uh, this morning saying... Uh, that when Mr. Trump was uh, president, he withdrew American soldiers from Afghanistan. This saved a lot of American soldiers, etc. Uh, I'm not sure uh, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, Eric. Uh, all lives uh, being saved are a good thing, obviously, and maybe that's what Eric meant. Uh, it, it was a deal, of course, uh, that Trump did uh, that uh, was implemented by Joe Biden. Uh, a lot of criticism of Joe Biden for pulling out of Afghanistan uh, to leave people to the fate of living under the rule of uh, the Taliban uh, again and we know that there's been an awful lot of problems uh, since then Uh, but uh, thank you indeed Eric uh, for your text to the programme today if you'd like to make comment on our programme as always our telephone number is 041-983-2000 text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, Fianna TD, Niall Collins is going to make a, a statement uh, to the Dáil. The Minister of State has a, a number of questions uh, to answer about a site that was sold to his wife in 2008. It's a story that began in 2006 when Limerick County Council was asked by a solicitor uh, if it would be interested in selling this piece of land. Uh, the land, as I say, was sold in 2008 to Niall Collins's wife. Niall Collins was not a member of Limerick County Council at the time because he was elected to become a TD in 2007. But when the council decided to sell the land in January of 2007, Niall Collins was a member of the council. Yesterday in the Dáil, people before Prophet TD, Paul Murphy, asked the Taoiseach if the Local Government Act applies to Niall Collins. He said it must and as a result, his failure to recuse himself from that meeting and his failure to declare a conflict of interest is not only a breach of the Code of Ethics, but a breach of that legislation and an indictable offence. Uh, this is a parliament, not a kangaroo court. 
And while you're a member of parliament, and I am too, you do not have the authority to decide uh, who has committed a crime and who hasn't, nor do you have the authority to investigate it. Uh, if an allegation is being made of a criminal nature, there's a proper process uh, by which uh, an investigation can be carried out uh, and a prosecution carried out uh, if warranted. It's not for you to do that. That's not your role. We are a democracy. We do have a separation of powers uh, between the legislative function of this place uh, and, um, uh, and, uh, and, and the courts. And the fact that you think that you're the person who should make that determination is exactly the problem. It's exactly the problem. That's uh, the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar slapping Paul Murphy on the wrist. Uh, People before Profit TD, Paul Murphy on the line with us now. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. The Taoiseach obviously took umbrage uh, to your question, uh, but I don't think you were too pleased with his response. Morning, Michael. No, I I wasn't. Because what, what that was all about was about whether we would get questions and answers with Niall Collins or we would just get a statement. And what happened yesterday was that the government, backed up by a range of independents, including Michael Heaney Ray, Matthew McGrath, Michael Collins, all voted to say that we won't have questions and answers, we'll just have a statement from Niall Collins. And, and, and the Taoiseach described having a questions and answer session with a minister as a kangaroo course, um, which I think is quite an incredible approach to take to, like, basic idea of accountability of ministers to uh, the the doll. You know, it's a pretty basic thing of a parliamentary uh, democracy that people would actually answer questions. And the problem is, like, Niall Collins actually made a statement about another scandal he was involved in just six weeks ago. He made a statement on Thursday afternoon, not much media attention, not many people around, no questions uh, asked. And in that case, he didn't address the main allegation at that time, which is that he had lied on his planning application. He just, he just, he just didn't address it whatsoever. So I, I have no confidence that we're going to get any clarity from a statement by okay. Niall Collins. So, so, so what do you hope to hear from Niall Collins? Uh, because uh, I think the biggest problem you have with this is that he was a, a member of uh, Limerick County Council when they agreed to sell this site uh, and that he didn't recuse himself from that meeting knowing that it, it was his wife who was hoping to buy the site. Uh, you say that uh, was not only a breach uh, of the code of ethics, but also a breach of legislation. It was uh, illegal. It, it uh, was uh, something uh, that would have to be dealt with by the courts, uh, in other words. Uh, whether that is right or not, uh, it would seem that there's a consensus on his failure to recuse himself uh, because the Taoiseach, the Taunashe, and Eamon Ryan, the leader of the Green Party, uh, agree with that point and say he should have. Yes. Um, but they, they, they say he should have, but then they say there should be no consequences for him not doing so. I mean, I really think there is only one important question for Niall Collins, and I, I suspect I know the answer. I suspect most people think they know the answer, but I'd like to hear it from himself. And that, and that question is, when he failed to recuse himself, uh, when he participated in the decision to put the land up for sale, did he know that his wife had expressed interest in, in buying it? Um, because if he did, and... He's never denied that he that he did. Well, then, in my opinion, it's absolutely 100% clear, it's an open and shut case, that he is in breach of the Code of Conduct and of the local government. Well, you'd have to assume he has a, a peculiar relationship with his wife if he didn't know it. Uh, and, uh, exactly. His wife, Ema O'Connor, is a GP and it ended up being a brilliant deal, didn't it? She got this site for €148,000. She said she wanted to build uh, a GP surgery uh, on uh, the site, uh, but between one thing and another, 10 years passed 
and she developed five houses on it. Exactly, and those houses are going to be sold back to uh, Limerick County Council, uh, or Limerick, but it is now Limerick Council. They look very uh, big houses, very expensive houses. And I think like this does illustrate, like there's, there's two parts of this story in a way. One is the kind of grubby, old-style, Fianna Fáil politics, councillors not representing the public interest, but instead representing their self-interest. Mm. But, it, but a second part of it is an illustration of the madness of the approach of the government in general in terms of housing. You know, this was a site of public land that the council owned. Yeah. Uh, the council could have developed social housing on the land itself for a much cheaper cost. Instead, they sold the land to a private actor who happened to be the wife of a councillor um, and then um, are, will, will buy it back off them at a much, much increase. Have you any idea of how much you'd buy those houses for? I, I mean, I've no understanding of property prices in Limerick, but I, I doubt you'd get one of them for 148000 let alone double that. You probably would be talking about at least half a million for each of the five houses on a site that was bought for 148000 yeah, that's, that's certainly what I would have assumed. I mean, uh, similarly, I'm <laughs> I'm not an expert at the about the property market mm. in Limerick, but I, I I agree from from the knowledge that I have that that is most uh, likely, and I think that so, gets to the essence of the problem. So, so, so if that is the case, you're talking about a hundred and forty eight thousand being invested with a return of two and a half million. Yep, not a. Not a bad day's work. And, yeah, and, well, and of course, I there's construction the, costs and so on uh, sure. to be taken into account, but that's that's really a good deal, all right. Yeah, and that gets to the essence of, like, his defence is, um, he wasn't on the council whenever they literally voted to sell it to his wife, um, and that when they, he voted to put it up for sale, he or his wife had no uh, beneficial or pecuniary interest in the property, right? And what pecuniary means is that someone has a reasonable expectation that they will make a gain or a, a loss. But the point is, it's not that they had a, they had a, they couldn't possibly have had an interest in the site itself because obviously it was owned by the council. But they had an interest in whether the land was put up for sale because there was a reasonable expectation that she would make a, a gain uh, from it. And like. The code of conduct is very clear. It says under the one act, councillors must disclose at a meeting of the local authority or of its committees any pecuniary or other beneficial interests they or a connected person have. Uh, the councillor must withdraw from the meeting after disclosure and must not vote or take part in any discussion or consideration of the matter. And he didn't do any of those things. And that's why if he knew, and I agree with you that it's very, very unlikely, we have a very peculiar relationship if he didn't know, well, then that's it. He, he, he shouldn't continue as a minister. It's not tenable for him to continue as a minister for someone who, who broke the rules in that way. OK, but he has the full support of the government, it would appear. Do we know when uh, Minister Niall Collins is going to make this statement uh, to the Dáil and is there any prospect that he will be fielding questions? We, we, we don't know. Um, I would bet a moderate amount of money that it will similarly be on a Thursday afternoon wherever there is minimal media attention um, and minimal presence of people in the in the doll um, and he's determined not to answer any questions um, but whether they'll be able to hold it that we'll, we'll see I mean I, I, mean, I don't think it's credible but Sometimes they do manage just to brazen these things out. I'd be surprised if they managed to brazen this one out. But he's, he did brazen out the last scandal two months ago. And let's see if he can do it twice.
Okay, time will tell. Uh, can I ask you about the visitors that you had to your house on Monday night? I gather you were at home uh, when a, a crowd, a small crowd of people turned up. Yeah, um, I mean, we were we were getting ready to give our two-month-old baby a bath and uh, Jess, my partner, looked out the window and there was a crowd of 10 or 11 people, placards, tricolour, overwhelmingly uh, men, in most of them masked, um, which was obviously a surprise. We weren't expecting something uh, like that outside our family home, in our neighbourhoods, you know, affecting our neighbours. Um, and I, I mean, the kind of placards they were holding were mostly against refugees, but then they were also handing out a leaflet, which was opposing the right to, to housing uh, bill. Um, so obviously, yeah, I mean, it wasn't a nice experience. I definitely encourage them or ask them not to come back to my house, not to go back to other people's homes, not to attempt to intimidate people's families, uh, but instead um, bring bring their protest to the doll or wherever they wherever they you know choose is appropriate. Mm. Masked patriots, I take it, if they were carrying a flag. In, indeed, um, <laughs> and I think there's a point here about um, these people like to portray themselves as anti-establishment, but if you look at who they go after, who they target the most. Um, it's precisely those who are trying to expose the corruption of the establishment. You know, literally, this was on the day that I had written to the business committee about Niall Collins, and that had brought it all out into the public domain, elicited finally after almost a week a response from Niall Collins. And um, today, this morning, we've got our rent reduction bills, reduced rent for, for tenants. Um, so, you know, Wittingly or unwittingly, I would certainly make the case that the, the far right are actually agents of the real establishment in this country, those who have the you know, very substantial economic power, big landlords. That's that's why they're opposed to the right to housing bill um, to such an extent, um, because mm. that's, that's ultimately the interest they're serving, even though I suspect many of them don't know that's what they're doing. Okay, and... Uh, did this have anything to do with your partner or your two-month-old baby or your uh, neighbours, for that matter? Uh, not, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> you better ask them. Um, yeah. it, it, it didn't seem to. I mean, what they, they seemed to be protesting about was, was me um, and uh, presumably the fact that I'm, I'm in favour of us welcoming refugees. I'm in favour of us tackling the housing crisis here. I think we have enough resources. Mm. No, the point the, the, the point I'm making is that uh, these things, uh, when you, especially when people are, are wearing masks and that, they can tend to get out of control. Uh, uh, and even if they don't, which I don't think was the case on Monday night outside your house, uh, people can feel anxious in case it does get out of control, anxious and frightened and intimidated and hoping it just ends and they go away. Uh, and I'm not saying it was the case with your partner or your little uh, baby. Congratulations, by the way, on the birth of you. uh, your young child uh, or your neighbours. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure that there were some people anxious. I'm not sure if you have elderly neighbours or if that matters or, or what it is. Uh, but uh, it's down. The question I, I, I'm posing, I suppose, is what is a, a appropriate protest? Uh, and to stage a protest like that uh, with masked men uh, carrying uh, the tricolour and so on, uh, is that appropriate or should that be outlawed altogether? Well, it's definitely not appropriate. And like, you know, it's definitely the case. People don't expect when they're coming home from work or whatever to find these people in their neighbourhood. Whatever about me, and I don't think it's justified to protest outside our home. Certainly, you know, if you think our direct next door neighbours, the people living across the road from us, you know, lots of neighbours, yeah. there certainly has nothing to do with them whatsoever, whatever case you can make for protesting against us. Um, I mean, for, we, I wouldn't be in favour of 
a legal ban because I think that can be a, a slippery slope. Um, but I think what we need to have is message needs to go out clearly. This is not appropriate. People should not be doing it. Um, you know, I think even there, there's people who would disagree with us on many, many things who would understand, look, this is not on. So I'd ask, you know, pressure should be put on people to say, no, this is not the sort of behaviour that we should um, have. It doesn't, it doesn't serve anyone's interest. Okay, we'll leave it there, Paul. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Paul Murphy, Thanks, People Michael. Before Profit TD for Dublin Southwest. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. And some more of uh, the comments coming to us. Uh, Frank says, uh, Who can we trust if we can't trust our police force on Garda Síochána and our government and our local representatives? Frank says he's a, a very concerned member of uh, the public. Uh, somebody else saying, uh, We couldn't still be living in a, a country where envelopes and hand shakes our order of the day another text uh, from somebody who says Niall Collins has no problem speaking for himself he never shuts up when he's on political discussion programmes on television what's wrong with his voice now Uh, they don't realise that they work for us the people we elect them and we pay their wages says our caller Uh, and in relation to the protest outside of Paul Murphy's house somebody says it was placards they had not AK-47s Uh, That doesn't make it any less intimidating for some people. Uh, But thanks uh, all the same. Somebody else says, it amazes me, Michael, how quick these keyboard jockeys crawl from under their rocks to comment on things that they know nothing about. Thanks uh, for that. Uh, whilst John uh, in Ballymacanny also WhatsApping us says, what will a question and answers session achieve with Minister Collins? They'd be better off trying to sort out all of the problems in the country. Thanks, John, uh, for your message as well. 0419832000 is our telephone number. Text or WhatsApp 086-1800-658 and you can email my Michael at lmfm.ie. Now, as you may have heard yesterday, the price of motor insurance has come down in the first half of 2022. It was 5% less compared to the same period in 2021. Uh, I think it is encouraging, uh, Tishik, to see today that the central bank is reporting uh, a reduction of 5% in motor insurance in the first six months of this year. But we also read this uh, today that the 188,000 uninsured drivers are adding uh, over a five-year period €175 to premiums, effectively 6% per year. I'd just like to ask the teacher, can more effective action be taken to detect uh, uninsured drivers? As well, the fact that motor insurance premiums are continuing to fall, and I think they've fallen about 40 or 50% from peak now, uh, would like to see the same happening when it comes to business insurance. Um, uh, EL and PL haven't come down, and that's disappointing. Um, the fact that there are so many uninsured drivers on the road uh, is a cost for everyone because the cost gets loaded on to um, the motorists who does pay their insurance, and that's not fair. Um, I'm not sure if there are additional actions that can be taken, but uh, I'll certainly take it up with Minister uh, Mr. Carl McNeil is responsible for this area and the Taunch do chairs the committee now on insurance reform. That's the Taoiseach Leo Bradker responding to Fine Gael TD. Richard Bruton in uh, the Dáil yesterday. Peter Boland is uh, the director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Good morning to you, Peter, and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. I- I'm sure that you welcome this 5% drop in premium prices, uh, but should it be more? Absolutely, Michael. Good morning. It should be an awful lot more. And and this is a constant problem for us now with the insurers. Um, 
everything has been done to deliver uh, the reforms that they insisted were the ones that would unlock on affordable insurance and yet uh, what we're seeing is uh, 2% in 2021 5% in the first half of this year and yet claims continue to absolutely tumble. Uh, injury claims are down now 42% between 2015 and 2022 uh, and what's interesting in that report that was published yesterday is we're getting the first insight into how in insurers themselves are settling uh, on personal injury claims under the new guidelines. Up to now, all we were seeing was what PIAB, the Personal Injury Assessment Board, were doing. But we're seeing that insurers are uh, settling for an average of 34% less. So these are big numbers. uh, And the reductions in motor insurance is not a big number. And so... uh, Essentially what's happening is that the reforms are leveraging huge savings. Uh, Some of them are being passed on to the motorist, uh, but it certainly looks like, by and large, the majority of the savings are going into the back pocket of insurers. Uh, Improving profits, in other words. Uh, precisely. Yeah, and the report yesterday didn't give any update on profits. We won't get that till later this year. Um, but it wouldn't surprise us one bit if profitability over the next number of years skyrockets in the insurance industry. Right. Uh, so uh, they're pulling the wall over our eyes. Is that the thing? Well, that's precisely it, yeah. are um, taking us for a ride. And when I say us, I mean policyholders uh, and government, because uh, this has been a whole of society uh, response to this crisis. Government opposition, the judiciary, Ungarda Siakana, uh, and needless to say, policyholders have uh, made Ireland a safer, better operated place uh, with um, huge restructuring to the personal injury area in particular uh, and that has not been reflected uh, in what insurers are passing on and if the situation is is bad on motor and we would regard it as being bad uh, in the context of all the reforms it's even worse on liability where in fact premiums last year went up by an average of 14% despite all the same reforms impacting on the um, on the liability insurance side as well. Mm. Um, it's a complicated area uh, because it, it's never black and white, is it? I mean, one of uh, the reasons uh, that the insurance companies could be making more money is that people are buying more expensive uh, insurance. More people have comprehensive cover now than was the case. Uh, there is a drift upwards, but they, they would argue that, in fact, uh, third-party insurance works out more expensive in this country because it applies to younger drivers. Uh, so the Drifty Comprehensive doesn't seem to have had much of an impact uh, on the overall cost. Um, and uh, again, it, it is a minor issue in comparison to uh, the savings that have been yielded in particular by the judicial guidelines. And just to put a bit of context mm. on it, and you do say that this is a, a complex issue, and it, it can get complex, and certainly if you want to kill it as a, an issue, uh, you, you, you make it complex. But just to simplify it down for one moment, um, we had some of the adventure centres in the country uh, on media yesterday uh, talking about their problems that they are having getting cover. And a representative of the European body for adventure centres came on and said, this is uniquely an Irish problem. This is 100% an Irish problem. It just does not exist anywhere else. And uh, so whilst the resolution of it 
may appear complex, it has to be done because this is putting us at a major disadvantage to the rest of the population. One of the one of the reasons we were told we had a, a problem in this country was uh, because of compo claims, uh, uh, culture of compensation. But there's been a decrease in the number of injury claims. Uh, so how does that fit into that equation? Absolutely, yeah. Look, at you still on a, almost on a daily basis get reports of absolutely bonkers personal injury claims being facilitated by the courts uh, in this country. But the absolute number of them has dropped dramatically. And as I mentioned already, the total settled injury claims are down 42% between 2015 and now. Um, so that's not even a COVID issue, although COVID probably accelerated the, the process. But that's been happening since 2015. And and that has... The, the insurance industry are, are very clever in uh, identifying scapegoats. And so we were told that premiums wouldn't come down until personal injury, uh, injury claims were resolved. That's been done now. Then it was fraud. Uh, now, as of yesterday, we're being told it's down to the duty of care legislation. All of those things have an impact. Right? That cannot be disputed. Um, but the suggestion that we must hold off on any reductions until all of the reforms go through is an absolute nonsense. And really all it's designed to do is protect individual insurers uh, and allow them to keep the benefits of all these reforms uh, for as long as possible. Mm. And uh, that is not acceptable from a societal point of view. Okay, uh, I suppose everybody can uh, look at their own premium and if it's dropped by 5%, uh, they'd know what that means for them. But what should we be paying for motor insurance? Uh, It's uh, apparently €135 less on average than it was in 2017. Uh, That sounds like a, a big drop, a lot of money. But of course, there's been a lot of inflation since 2017. The average cost now is 578, uh, allowing for that 135 euro drop. And instead of 578 uh, as an average, uh, what should it be? Well, we would expect somewhere between another 10 and 20% to come off that. And remember that it's still uh, nowhere near where it was in 2015. Uh, and in 2015, I beg your pardon, 2013, when in 2013 you had all of that compo culture claimed very high level of claims, very high level of awards, uh, and yet we still haven't caught up on where we were then. So there's a good bit of ground to go on this. And and at at the very least, what I would suggest uh, is that your listeners shop around. And that might seem like Mm. a tired and almost lazy response, but it works every time. Mm. Unfortunately, the case, uh, loyalty is not rewarded, it is the opposite. Peter, we leave there for the moment. Incredible too that you think uh, it should be 10, 20% less than what we're paying at the moment. And that all, of course, is real money in our pockets that we could be spending on some of the other things that we're finding difficult to afford. But as I say, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us on the programme today. Peter Boland is uh, the director of the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Let's uh, go back uh, to the questions that a lot of TDs wanted to put uh, to Niall Collins. The Minister is going to make a statement in the doll, but he's not going to take questions. TD after TD stood up in the doll yesterday 
and protested about this. We're going to hear one of those TDs now, a local TD, Padder Tobin of Ain2 in Mead West. It may be a little bit hard to, to hear because he's off mic for some of this, uh, but he, he was not giving up. I think that's true to say. Um, Deputy Tobin, we're moving on to the next lot of questions. Deputy Tobin, we're moving on to the next lot of questions. Take your seat. And all I'm asking is the Taoiseach accepting what happens in Thanks, the Deputy, potential Deputy case Tobin. of corruption, or does the Taoiseach think that it's good enough that we have this we'll system to the next uh, continue? And I, I want an answer to okay, the question. Okay, the next lot of questions is in relation sorry, to the Taoiseach. No, sorry, Deputy. No, Deputy, I've actually overindulged. We've, we've gone three minutes over. Excuse me, no. We've gone three minutes over. There are other people here waiting for the next lot of questions. We have definite time. We need to move on. Do you not think uh, 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 that it's unfair for the Taoiseach to ignore this question, to not give an answer in this question, given the gravity of the question, given the public interest in this question, and given the clear link that there is between corruption in this, the history of the state and distortion of society and unfairness? We're moving on to the next lot of questions. Thank you. And so they did. Uh, Peter Toby was not giving up, as I say. Sarah, thank you very much uh, for taking the time time to phone us uh, today and uh, sharing your thoughts with us. Uh, Sarah, in touch about Joe Biden's decision uh, to run for a second term as president of uh, the United States. And Sarah says she just can't understand why there's so much negativity about this. Why is his age such a big deal? He's only 80. Look at the Queen. She was 96 when she died and she was still carrying out royal duties and running the country successfully until a couple of weeks before she died. Sarah believes that people's attitude is terribly ageist, more than unfair. Joe Biden has been doing a good job during his term in office and seems more than up to the job. So why not give him the chance to run again? What's the alternative, Sarah asks. Donald Trump, heaven forbid, she says. Thank you, as I say, Sarah. Jerry, thank you as well for phoning us. He says it's disgusting that some of these protesters are bothering public representatives in their own homes and targeting their families. It's not right or fair. Public representatives are in the public eye, so some level of kickback probably should be expected, but their partners and their families should be off limits at all times, their homes as well. If these protesters want to air their grievances, then they should do so at the doll and stop targeting people individually. Thanks very much, Jerry. as I say, for taking the time to ring and indeed for sharing your thoughts with us. Somebody else in touch with us about that protest outside of Paul Murphy's house saying, if people believe in what it is that they're protesting against, why do they hide behind a mask? Hmm, that's a very good question, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe somebody is looking for them. <laughs> they don't want to be seen. Uh, maybe they're wanted. Uh, we've uh, somebody else in touch about insurance. Maybe mention the legal fees that are being paid out on claims. Solicitors are the big winners too. Sometimes uh, the legal fees can be nearly the same or often more than what the claimant gets. Thank you for that and I think that's uh, why Peter Boland uh, would hope that people would go to PIAB, the 
uh, body that uh, takes away a lot of those uh, fees uh, because of the way that it works rather than going through the courts. Um, we'd uh, somebody else in touch saying Collins, English, Donoghue, Nocton, Cleary, Nocton 2, Whiplash, Farrell, etc. New system required with integrity. This is Billy, uh, who's uh, been texting us uh, and uh, he's fell, fed up with the silly love-ins that take place in the doll, which he describes as the snake bit. Thanks for that, Billy. Uh, a lot of people in touch with us today, which is great and good to hear from you. And thank you indeed if you have been in touch. Um, we're going to hear from the Garda Representative Association now. We heard from them on the programme yesterday. It was quite a, a dramatic first day because they heard from the Commissioner uh, and they told us yesterday what they hope to hear from the Commissioner. Uh, but it certainly was clear at that meeting of the Garda representation, representat- Representative Association, the GRA, that the Commissioner did not say what the, they wanted to hear about rosters. On rosters, I would say the reverse as to what has been portrayed. I want to assure you that I'm only interested in a collective agreement that works best for the people we serve in terms of service provision, works best for the Garda who have to work it, and and for the efficiency and the effectiveness of Angarda Shikana. This is no easy task, and neither was it ever going to be. It requires compromise by all parties, and I've already made compromises, and I'm prepared to make more, but I can't be the only one who makes compromise. So far, in... Okay, there you have uh, the reaction from Frontline Gardaí to the Garda Commissioner Drew Harris uh, when he was telling them he was the only one who was making compromises and that wouldn't do. Uh, The jeering and slagging and the get on with it and body on about sort of reaction uh, was not indicative of what you might call uh, a disciplined force. Now we've been hearing today that uh, the review of the abortion legislation uh, will be published later today. We know a a lot about it already but uh, we'll hear uh, some more arguments uh, for and against changing the legislation now. Um, And Taoiseach as well as the figures you've given for the care that's provided there has also been over 700 women who've had to travel abroad for care uh, since repeal and that is probably the biggest issue at stake here. One of the impediments and the report we hope will show this because it's been indicated and leaks to that is the three-day wait and you have said that you feel uncomfortable and so have others on your side of the house that they feel uncomfortable. But let me remind you, this is about women in this country. It's not about how you feel or how any other minister feels. And indeed, I remember when it was repeatedly said, we're all on a journey. So I'd like to say to you who are slow to get on that journey before repeal, to get back on the bus, because the journey is unfinished and we have unfinished business in relation to this. The review was about the lived experience of women, not something in my head or your head, but about the actual lived experience. Thanks, Deputy. I'm disappointed that you've decided to personalise what is an important issue and a very sensitive issue, and I think you do a disservice, actually, uh, to women when you try to when you, when you try to personalise uh, an issue like this, so I I, I just express my my regret. Uh, I just express my uh, I'm having a go at me. Like it's really you know like you have plenty of opportunities to do that in other issues, and I think uh, nobody should personalise this debate. Uh, everyone has their views on this matter, and they're entitled to their views, and they should have their views respected. And I'm sorry you're not able to do that, Deputy. Uh, but I'll leave it at that. Um, r- roughly, r- roughly. Time is running. 
Uh, roughly 250 women travel abroad for abortions every year. They do so for lots of different reasons. Uh, and that's detailed and explained in the report. But like I say, it will be published tomorrow. Uh, people have a chance to read it. And it's being referred to the Joint Directors Committee and held for further consideration. All right, that's the Taoiseach, Leo Bradker, responding to People Before Profit TD, Breed Smith, in the Dáil yesterday. Maggie Maguire researched the programme today. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael Godwilling. We'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.